Welcome to our Mother's Day episode of Don't Fuck It Up. Today we have a very special guest, someone who is near and dear to my heart because she is my mama. So Michelle Clemish is joining us to talk through all things motherhood, womanhood, and where we are today and where we can go in the future. Um, we were talking about what to introduce and how to how to talk about her bio. And rather than me giving you the Cliff's Notes version, I think I'll just hit the recording and let her share for herself. I hope you enjoy. And I feel like some in some way my bio is is somewhat um, related to this stuff mm. because I I live so long, right? Mm -hmm. That the the world is transforming in this exact thing about how are women perceived, how is feminine power of feminine values perceived? Why do we have this emphasis on that whole lopsided patriarchal? It's men designed all the systems, and women just live inside the systems that men designed that oh, don't really suit us. But I there's so much that's different. Like for my Jamie has never known a place where women are not the boss. It, for her, it's, yeah. it's just assumed. Of course, women can be the boss, just like it's assumed computer technology exists and all that stuff that I didn't have when I was a kid. It's a different world we're raising our kids in now. The whole idea of there's some weird lopsided thing where men have dominated history and politics and education and industry for so long. Our social systems have been set up by men for men about things men care about. And I've seen that span over the last 60 plus years of how it's women are starting to do things. And first we start out by doing it the way men do it. Hence the powerlifting, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be a badass, and I end up being the world record holder, right? But that was really a male. It was there's so many stories from that, and I don't want to go into all those stories, but it kind of feeds into. I've seen that differential, and I've seen the opening up of women, you know. And you have political leaders that are women now, which 50 years ago was unheard of, really, you know. Um, so. In a lot of research, I've just been doing a lot of research. So I feel like we, we want to talk about Mother's Day. We want to talk about motherhood. And I have, I have, I want to more present questions like the thing I've been researching has to do with how, how is the fact that we have this patriarchal society mean our religions are all God is the father, God is the son. Where's God the mother? How did God pop that son out if there was no mom? Because every, everything that we know is human is you know, in the animal kingdom, et cetera, the, what we see in our world is the, the woman is the one that pops the kid out. So where did God the mother go? And then you start thinking, what, where are all the feminine aspects of deity? That, and is the fact that the feminine aspects of deity are not honored contributing to the oppression of human women in society? And, and the whole thing about motherhood and how are mothers different than fathers? See, there's so many ways we could take this. And I feel like it shouldn't be about my other project. It should only be about motherhood and how maybe divine motherhood should be more of an influence in our lives so that we treat everything as sacred, including raising our kids. You're in the thick of it, right? You, Sabina, you're in the middle of something that men say, oh, that's women's work kind of a thing. That was my thing. It's becoming more and more. We had we had a dinner last night with someone. The dad is the stay-at-home dad. He was 22 years in the military, and now he's the stay-at-home dad, and his wife is the breadwinner. And he still gets flack about, you know, at some point we'll stop giving people flack about parenting their own kids. 
Yeah. Why do we diminish motherhood? Why do we call it's the drudge work? You have to change the diapers and the, you know, clean the house and do all the, you know, scullery made work. We've diminished women in our homes. And how is that related to the fact that we've erased mother God from human consciousness in the West? So that I have more questions than I have answers, but I have been, I have three, I have a stack of books, three feet high of all the research I've been doing for the last few years on the subject of how that loss of the divine feminine has contributed to the suppression of human women. Cause you, everyone does double duty. If you have a mom, you know, she's, she's doing everything for everyone. Plus she probably works outside the home as well. So yeah. what are we doing by exhausting all of our mothers to the point where they can't even sleep straight through the night? Why has this topic become such um, of an interest to you? About 10 years ago, I was invited to do a talk in Los Angeles and it was an hour long talk on the subject of what the world needs now. And during the research for that talk, I was looking at all, you know, what do we have? Poverty, we have disease, we have incessant warfare, we have economic inequality. You know, these, there's a lot of problems that we are suffering from as a human race. Almost all of them are things that people do to each other. It's not just, the, that's just the way life is. No, it's what we, that's how we treat each other and talk to each other. So that got me thinking because it was kind of discouraging to realize we're doing all this to ourselves. I realized it's also hopeful that if we, if we're human beings who are make, creating all these problems, that means we also have the power to solve all the problems, to make those problems go away, to stop behaving in the way that causes those problems. So that started me. Five years ago, I was invited to do a talk, and I had 20 minutes to talk about the history of women. It was for a, a women's retreat in British Columbia. I went up there. Doing the research for that one was shocking to me. I almost called the organizer and said, I'm not, I, this is pissing me off so bad, I don't want to do this talk. Because I realized from studying the history of women that almost all of the laws that apply to things that women do or are were created based on property laws when we were still chattel, where, where the husband owned the wife and the kids belonged to the husband, right? We didn't have, we couldn't vote. We couldn't own property. If you get married, you essentially wipe out your entire citizenship and, and you, the, the husband is the one that is the head of the household and all that stuff, right? So I started researching that and I realized that part of the problems from that talk in Los Angeles about what we need in the world today have to do with the feminine values that we hold dear as women have been suppressed, have been diminished, have been ignored, have been, we're not, we don't get to make laws. We don't get to create, you know, we don't have jobs outside the home. A hundred years ago, my grandmother was 39 years old with eight kids and she still couldn't vote. We really, we've changed a lot and we need to change more. And I realized a lot of the feminine elements are missing from the discussion of how we set up our society. So that's kind of what got me thinking about what can I do? What can I do one person? And in my life, it was almost not my job because I owned my own company, but I knew that I was very aware that my daughters would not ever think the, the mom can't be the boss because they grew up in a household where the mom was the boss. So I knew they were going to have a different impact. That was going to have an impact on them different than my mom who said, take a typing class, dear. You know, that's that's nice what you want to do, but uh, you can't make a living doing that. So go take a typing class. I know the world is changing. It might not be changing fast enough for me, but I think that really what we're on to is we have to raise our kids differently. And that means male and female together are raising these kids, emulating for them and modeling for them 
how collaboration between the sexes makes things work. So we just, and we don't need women to be in charge of everything, although women have a real different style of leadership. We need collaboration and cooperation and interaction between the sexes as we're setting up the systems that our society is based on so that it works for women as well as men and not mm -hmm. excluding women that we're all trying to fit ourselves into that male model. Yeah, that's so interesting. And it's, um, I don't know, Jamie, how do you feel about this? Are those conversations you have with your mom on a regular base? Mm -mm. No. Um, I think though we, it's always been that way though, right? With female, I don't want to say dominance because that's not the right word, but it was very clear. My dad owned his own business. My mom owned her own business. So for me growing up, I think that was the normal is that parents just owned, they worked for themselves. Like to <laughs> me, it was odd for other people to work for somebody else because that was not how my parents made their livings. And for me, there was that equality piece. Um, my dad, and and honestly, my dad, like I ended up being his his go-to and his admin, you know, whereas my mom, eventually we worked together. My dad, I was like, okay, did you call this person? Did you set this up? You have this meeting, all of these things. So if anything, I saw that difference in leadership and, you know, what, what a female owned business looks like versus what a male owned business looks like. And of course, that's just their different personalities now that I'm old and I know, mm -hmm. right? You're not old. Uh, <laughs> well, tell tell my knees that this morning. I had a pretty heavy leg workout yesterday. I went, I bent down to switch the laundry and I almost fell on the floor. <laughs> so <laughs> tell my body that, but thank you. Affirmation. Yeah. So if anything, I would say in my perspective, at least as a younger version of myself, not taking my mom and dad's different personalities into account, my perspective was that female run businesses were a lot smoother <laughs> than, than male, you know, just because of, of where I was stepping in to help out and, and give the reminders. So there's that aspect of it. But I also think from from that perspective, what I didn't realize growing up that it, it was inherently in me. And I think it's also in my sister. And and now I see it in, in Grace and Kaylee. So my daughters is that it's not right that we are doing double duty. And yeah. I'm fully capable of doing it, right? Mm -hmm. I'm fully capable of running a household, making sure there's groceries and dinner and laundry and the house is clean and all of the things that go into, you know, oh, the the truck registration is due. Great. Pay that bill. Make sure it gets in on time. The stickers get on the vehicles. I mean, all of those mundane, weird things that come renewing the, the insurance, you know, all of that administrative stuff, running a full household, and at the same time, being really powerful in, in the career aspect as well. Uh, contributing really powerfully financially to the house, running running teams and making sure that there's a separate leadership. And se selfishly, I think there's something about that career piece, you know, because for me, I get satisfaction out of that. It's just for me, right? Yes, it contributes to the household. Yes, it's a part of me being financially viable and making sure that we get to do the things we want to do and support the kids. And at the same time, I get to leave the house and be me and lead the way that I want to lead in that moment. And so 
I think there's so many different aspects because there's, you know, you talk about mom guilt, right? You're guilty if you want to have something for yourself and be, that is outside of the house because our society says, oh no, raising the children is the mom's job. Well, that's bullshit, right? We have plenty of stay-at-home dads who are doing an amazing job at it. So are we actually diminishing their capacity and their their ability to be strong parents? You know, commercials, ever since we talked about, you know, we're going to have this topic, even in commercials, they always make the dad look like a jackass. Mm -hmm. Like he's, oh, never mind. Like uh, he puts the diaper on backwards or, you know, whatever it is. And not to say that that doesn't come from someplace, but I think motherhood or parenthood in that sense has been diminished. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we, yeah. we never find the right place for it because it's always, if you stay at home and do an amazing job or whatever, raising your children, just because you stay at home doesn't mean you do an amazing job. I guess I shouldn't put those two <laughs> things together. You are quote unquote, just a stay at home mom. But if you are a mom who is a badass and is high powered and has a nanny, it's like, oh gosh, like you've abandoned your children for your career. What a selfish bitch. And if you are straddling both earning money and being at home, but you know, then it's like, oh gosh, like you're not, you're not a good mom either because you know, you are, your attention is split and you miss the PTA meeting. And so I feel like there's a, and, and if you're a stay at home dad, it's like, oh really? Like you can't out earn your wife. That's kind of shitty. You know, those, like, it's so weird. Yeah. We, no matter what, there is a negative connotation to raising children, mostly on women. But I think there's that we're not good about it with men either. Yeah. And there's not a lot of support for it. There's a lot of criticism of it really. Well, and also it's not just, It's a lot of important work how we raise our kids, but it's also a lot of important work how we bring up mo mothers, mm -hmm. how we raise mothers, because you're not a mother your whole life, right? You become a mother the moment you get pregnant. I feel like the moment you are starting to have the seed within you, but, and for some, of course, like you, you can have this feeling all along and you're nurturing, as a lot of people would say about me, I remember that, like, Mother Goose, always the mother hen, like uh -huh. making sure her chickens are in a row and everybody is uh -huh. taken care of. And well, then mom guilt is definitely something that I struggle with a lot. And I, it feels really good to talk to you two about this because we are from different generations. Jamie and I, not so much, but mm -hmm. Jamie had children in a different time when I think society still had a different picture of being a mother. And for me now, it's like I'm surrounded by a lot of working moms that are doing it together with one, two or three children. And as I work full time and I'm recording this podcast and I'm working on some side things, I, I do feel a lot of mom guilt on the weekends when I say to Tanner, take the kid and just go for three or four hours throughout the, the week. I don't have time for it, so I need to do it on the weekends and I want to do it on the weekends to have that creative time for myself. And I shouldn't feel guilty about it because all he does throughout the week and he really has to focus on is go to work in the morning, come back in the evening, and then bring the kid to bed. And in between those hours, I done all the the mothering the whole time. So, But what you're but, talking about is so, is so is widespread. It's, it's so widespread. And it's know, so it's helpful. It's possible for women to get out of that trap. 
and 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 men too. You know, I mean, you're, the expectations society lays on us don't really work anymore. They might have yeah. worked 200 years ago, but I'm not even sure about that. They certainly don't work today. They and we we need to find a new way, and we need to do it intelligently and intentionally. How we support mothers is an excellent question. It's an excellent. And there question. there is a lot going on. I mean. Berlin is such a metropolitan and modern and out-of-the-box thinking city. There is a lot of things around. I mean, for example, we have every year there is a complete book that comes out for mothers and family in Berlin, What to Do With Your Child ah. and Help You Can Get. Um, so, for example, I actually looked through it today and I saw there is communities that's run by women who open co-working spaces for working moms in Berlin, oh. where you can literally drop off your child and work and others, other mothers watch your children while you work. That's brilliant. It's, it's so great, but we need more of that, right? We mm -hmm. need more of that. And not everybody, especially if you live in big cities now and you're far removed from your family or even with you guys too, It takes a village to raise your children. And mm -hmm. for example, we don't have that village. So we need to create it our own, but it's it's not easy. So you have to have those resources in place in order in order to do that if you don't know too many people in a big city like that. And you mentioned it, the working mothers and the other mothers watch the children. And it's interesting that would be lovely if we that conversation moved to parents that you know working parents need help with their kids and so other parent that model would work you know i mean it's interesting we still even as women default to the women are in charge of raising the kids kind of a thing right and i had to have those talks with my with my boss too that on days where my kid is sick mm -hmm. i can't come into work and i cannot work home office because it is just impossible to do mm -hmm. meetings with a toddler yeah you yeah. can't do it and it's you have those two jobs already and then if you add those two jobs into one room together <laughs> it feels like you're having a third job because all you do for the rest of the day is stressing yourself out that you cannot be your best in your work environment you cannot be your best with your kid right now because you need to tell your kid to be quiet and which two two and a half year old understands that so i just said straight up i was like I can't do it anymore. Like if she's sick or if the kindergarten is closed or whatever, I need to stay home. It gave me the burnout. It gave me yeah. the complete exhaustion of just completely failing all the time in every department. We have to rethink this whole concept. And as you said, it's shifting that dads are doing more. Like my dad was, who's from a generation, he's 70 something. He never changed one of our diapers and we have mm. three children. So, and he was, he was flabbergasted when Tanner changed the diaper and offered to do it. And it's like, yes, he does that 70 times or 70% of the time because he knows mm. that I'm doing everything else. So he will change the diaper. So, you're making progress. Your own life is evidence of yeah. the progress you're making. If there's a joint responsibility to earn a living, and a joint responsibility to raise the children. And then each couple can work out for themselves what the details, what's the best for them, not just yeah. based on the story of my mom. My mom uh, was a registered nurse. She was 
she had a college degree. She didn't get married till she was in her middle 20s, which was really late back in, you know, her era because she was born in 1924. So she got married in, in 1948. But my dad had a high school education and that was it. So she was better educated. She had higher earning power. But because of their era, she stayed home with the kids mm -hmm. and he was military dad. So we lived on like a lower in middle class income, you know, six kids raising six six kids. And the funny part of it was to me, my dad loved to cook. My mom hated to cook. My mom was not a good cook. But because of the traditional marriage roles that we have in our society, she stays home. She she takes care of the kids and she does all the cooking and the cleaning. And she, she didn't even like my dad loved cooking. So when he retired, he took over the cooking and we were all shocked to understand that my dad not only enjoyed cooking, but was good at it. Right. But they they went along those party lines and that was a family. They yeah. might have been better off if my mom just birthed the kids, you know, get them breastfed and get them get them, you know, up and running. And then my dad would have been the stay at home one because she could have out earned him for sure. And he enjoyed some of the domestic duties that my mom just did not like at all. But they yeah. were sort of trapped in that expectation. I think we're getting out of the traps of expectation, but there's still that, you know, residual. I don't know what you want to call it, expectations from our past that you don't even know where these feelings come from or these expectations come from. Mm -hmm. And you talk about you're, you're set up to fail as a mom with a young person who's working. You, you, you just every day you're failing. And how, how do, can we feel good about ourselves when our expectations are so high that we can't possibly fulfill them ever? Yeah. Not on a single day ever. We're just, yeah. it's just too hard for us. Mm -hmm. You know, that made me think about it. It's interesting when you look at the difference between Mother's Day and Father's Day uh, on social media and what the gifts are. It's assumed that mom wants flowers and she wants everyone together and she wants to be with her family. And it's assumed for dads, they want to go fishing on a boat by themselves <laughs> or ride ride the riding lawnmower with a beer or whatever, you know? So it's also really interesting that we think for Father's Day, the norm is, oh, they need a break. They need a rest from all the hard work. But for moms, the the norm and the uh, the assumption is that, oh, she just wants everybody together to be. And it's maybe, maybe moms want the break. Maybe we want to go to the spa and drink a beer. Oh, I said <laughs> that. I have... I already established those rules here. So I've been really keen on once a month at least to go out with some girlfriends to just have a good good time. We either go for dinner or we go to a bar or some women, some or some parents would think, what a sloppy, what a sloppy mom. But last year around the summertime, we go, my friend and I, our kids are the same age. We will go to a playground that's next to a beer garden and we will get ourselves a beer <laughs> and we take it with you with us to the playground to just sit there watch our kids and have a little enjoyment in the sun because dads would do that too and we deserve that break too because we've been already listening for six hours to a stubborn child so we gotta ease it up a little bit and I think there's nothing wrong with it. And when you get looks, it's like, take the edge off a little bit. Like, it's totally fine. There's also some, when you mentioned that a father's mother's day, there is just this weird misconception of like, 
a mom pushing a stroller and being on the phone texting, right? Oh my God, she's not paying attention to her kid. But when a dad pushes a stroller and is on the phone, they say, oh my God, he's taking care of the children. How nice of him, even when he's busy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and those are the things that really need to change. And I think they're about to change. I can only say that because I live in a really, how do you say it? Like on the beat or like there, it's a city that's like going with the time really fast. But yeah, if you if you go to the suburbs or if you go a little bit more into the um, countryside, like men still, like they were 50 or 60 or 100 years ago, right? They still have the mm -hmm. same view of that. And that's just, it, it doesn't trickle down. You only see it in the urban cities because maybe it is not the urban cities, like the big cities, that in order to live in a city like Berlin or even San Francisco or New York, the woman has to work in order to afford living there. Mm. Maybe it is so expensive that you just, both parents have to work and then something has to change and you have to share the load. I've done a lot of research and there's some interesting, so many interesting things are coming up. I think um, there's this, a person in Israel who did a study and her, she wrote a book called Gender Mosaic. And she said, you know, they talk about the male brain and the female brain, mm -hmm. but she said, there's no such thing as the male brain and the female brain, but everybody's brain is different. And so if you look at all the aspects of a human being and you test for them and you <clears throat> investigate them and you kind of try to put people into, into groups, you can't really do it. You can't say there's a male, male way of thinking and a female way of thinking that each human brain has a lot of aspects that we would consider masculine and a lot of aspects that we would consider feminine. And see, so she does this computer model where she takes, you know, 300 different characteristics of human beings and she tests the people and then she puts up little color-coded things. So if it's a, it's a male quality, she painted it blue. And if it was a female quality, she painted it red. And that all brains are purple. But the male brain does tend to be a little more purple toward violet. And the female brain does tend to be more purple toward fuchsia, a little more toward the red side. And men are a little more toward the blue side. But each of us is a combination of male and female aspects. But for, we're trained so carefully as young people, you know, for men, don't be sissies. Boys don't cry. You know, oh, you run like a girl. It, it, their diminishments have to do with you're too girly, right? You're too much like a woman. And women have that same problem that they're not allowed to be. Whoever it is they are, those aspects of them that are masculine, they're not supposed to express them either, you know. So I think the next step is that we're really going to get to a place where people are free to be who they are. Like what each person gets to choose for themselves. Do I want to be an architect or do I want to be a homemaker or do I want to be an astronaut or whatever? And whether you're male or female, we have a lot more male nurses now. I remember the first time when you saw someone who was a male nurse and you think, wow, boys can be, you know, women can be surgeons and men can be nurses. Yes, why not, right? But the generation coming up now won't think that's odd anymore. So they're not going to be having those same barriers and stuff that I had. My daughter doesn't have the same barriers, but her daughter and her daughter is going to be even more free and your daughter is going to be more free than what you were. 
because their expectations will not be set the same way that expect, you know, that older generations expectations were. Mm. What was interesting to me about the research for me was, has been where did these expectations come from? Where did we get the idea that God is a male? Where did we get the idea that women are supposed to be like this, X, Y, Z, and men are supposed to be like that, A, B, C? You know what I mean? Where does this stuff come from? And you go back in time and, and realize, like I said in that women's history, that I was asked to do that little 20-minute talk on women's history that pissed me off so bad. I was so <laughs> irritated by what I was reading and learning, where our laws come from uh, around women, like rape laws. Rape laws are based on property laws. It's not a crime against the women. It's the crime is against either the husband or the father who's ever supposed to control that female sexuality that you've taken something that belongs to him. It's theft. Rape laws were based on theft, that one man was stealing the sex of another man's woman, and that's not okay. And it was not until the middle 70s where they started redesigning rape laws that women were the ones who were being wronged. <laughs> I, it, that 70s. was incom incomprehensible to me that, that yeah. our, our rape laws were based on property laws. Recently in the United States, yeah. marital rape has become, I believe now it's a crime in every state. But in the past, it couldn't be. It was ridiculous because you're, you're saying a, some, a man is stealing something that he already belongs to him. You can't steal your own cookies out of your own cookie jar. You know what I mean? That, that kind of thing, like that in my lifetime, I was a grown woman when those things were starting to change. So we really have a different, we really have a, a task in front of us. But the reality is, for us, we have an opportunity to raise our people that are coming up in the next generation differently than how we were raised, if we do it intentionally, if we do it on purpose. So there's a lot of hope that we can make adjustments and do things that are more fair so that women who are straddling that work, uh, you know, home divide, don't have such a much tougher time of it than men do. Ex the example you gave, Sabina, was brilliant where the man out there pushing a baby stroller texting, he looks like a hero, but the woman looks like she's a negligent mother and she should they should call the police on her or whatever. You know what I mean? Like yeah. she's negligent and he's a hero. And they're doing the exact same behavior. So those are those well, weird expectations that we have to get rid of. And that's what I was thinking with the beer in the garden, right? And the like everybody would think oh dad and the two dads are sitting there with a beer it's like that's so cool they're having a mm -hmm. good time they're taking the load off from working and watching their kids of course they can enjoy a beer mm -hmm. and i was like why can mm -hmm. we not do this we're doing the same way we are two working moms now like we have we are finally done with work it's friday we worked all week and now it's 3 p.m so we're going to go on the playground and have another four hours and then a long weekend ahead of us because the kids are home. <laughs> the weekends are always the hardest. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. why not enjoying ourselves just a little bit? And I think that's something we just we just really need to not. I'm not saying we should get drunk and get <laughs> wasted <laughs> on the playground. Right. But I think it's like. It's a double standard that we have. It's just so many double yeah, standards. For that we sure. have. I just, oh. when you said that, Sabina, it also made me think of another aspect of, I guess it would be called mom guilt, but it's it's guilt or an eyebrow raised or being questioned for women who don't want to have children. Yeah. Make that choice. 
there's an assumption, oh gosh, like, did you have fertility issues? Uh, there's a negative connotation for that as well. And I think it's becoming more mainstream and more okay without those, those questions. But I think we chastise people for not wanting to have children either. Mm-hmm. The Pope yeah. just came out with the thing saying how selfish it was that women are having pets instead of babies. <laughs> There's a meme going around and it's hit the Pope and it says and exactly that, you know, oh, it's selfish not to have children in it. And the caption is, you know, celibate man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> says how selfish I it is too. for people not to have children. Excellent point. Excellent point. I saw that too. I was like, what is going on? That's hilarious. So how do we support our mothers? You know, how do we support parenthood? How do we support our parents? parents, both male and female parents, and and make society work in a way that the solution is not that nobody can have children. The human race dies out. But you can see why women could make that choice and are increasingly making that choice. They can't see how they can possibly afford children. Or they're working two jobs and their spouse is working a full-time job and there's no time left in their day for each other. Uh, you have this story where even if there's one stay-at-home parent and the other one goes to work, but the child duty is so intense that you don't really your relationship suffers. You know? Oh, totally. I mean, at one and, end, it has something has to suffer, right? Mm -hmm. So, how do you make that balance work? How do we balance our our personal lives, our parenting lives, our work lives, in a fair and equitable way? Because what's been going on for the last fifty years, you just dump everything on the women. And like Jamie said, she's perfectly capable of doing everything, but why? What, when is the downtime for women? And we're not seeing women at their best when they're completely stressed and don't have any sleep and they're running at both ends and feel like they're failing every moment. We're not seeing women. We still have not a society where we're seeing women at their best and we need women to be at their best because I, as far as I can tell, almost all of the problems the human race is suffering from right now have to do with that imbalance where we've gone down the male patriarchal path for so long and we've, it's taken us as far as it can take us. And now we need that, that inserting the, the feminine energy and the feminine value sets that are so necessary, making things better that work for everyone. And, you know, that clearly hasn't worked for a long time. So do you have a solution to it? How can I find the balance within everything? Because if you do, I want to hear it. Ha! I love it. Part part of it is you. I, and to me, Sabina, it, every woman who's raising a child right now needs to reject all the expectation anyone outside of herself is laying on her. You know, including her spouse and her mother-in-law and her own parents and her you know friends and whatnot. Each couple that's raising children together needs to decide for themselves what's the intelligent way to divide the workload, and have those conversations. And it changes, and you know it because you're right in the thick of it, Sabina, where, where what they needed when they were six months old is quite different than what they need when they're six years old, and again when they're 10 years old, and again when they're 15. You know, I mean, the, as the chi child is growing, our response and our their need for us is different. And so one parent mm -hmm. might be better in the first two years, and my, the other parent might be better in the teenage years. You don't know. But if you guys keep that open communication, the, the trick is when do you have time to openly communicate with your spouse when you're running around like crazy people working full-time raising kids? We've almost set working families up for failure, if you think about it. It's, it's surprising we don't have more problems in the world. 
So to me, that's part of it. But there's another, there's a study that just came out and it was done by two men. This is so interesting to me. I'm in the middle of this thing. Some researchers, they, they were trying to understand the difference between masculine qualities that bring men bring to leadership and the feminine qualities that women bring to leadership. What's the difference? And so they pulled 64,000 people in 13 different countries and the 13 countries, big countries uh, that represent about two thirds of the global economy right now. So they want to have a widespread global assessment of um, how do we get more feminine leadership and what does feminine leadership look like is, is what they kind of stumbled upon. But they did a study where the 32,000 people were asked one set of questions, which was a whole list of different qualities of leadership. And they were asked to say, is this a masculine quality, a feminine quality, or a neutral quality? And then they, the other half of that 64,000, the other 32,000 people they surveyed, they said, <clears throat> what qualities of leadership do we need in the world today to solve some of these problems? And they're listing off the difficulties, right, that we face as a society. So they're saying, what kind of qualities of leadership do we need to half of the group? And the other half was, are these qualities masculine or feminine? They were completely, they did them at the same time in the same countries, but they were completely diverse sets of 32,000 people, two different halves, right? And overwhelmingly, the qualities that they, the people thought were needed in the world today, overwhelmingly were the feminine, what were considered feminine qualities. There were some neutrals, there were some masculine also, but by far, the biggest cohort of people thought that what was, they, and they didn't know that's the question they were answering. One group was just assessing these qualities. And they were qualities like this. Do you want to hear this list? Yeah, tell me. In the, tell in us. The, what they thought was neutral. What they thought was neutral. Qualities were being visionary, energetic, simple, authentic agile, which I thought was interesting. I would have guessed that was going to be a feminine quality, collaborative, candid, traditional, and fun. All those were considered neutral qualities. The feminine qualities were original, free-spirited, loving, good listener, reasonable, community-oriented, flexible, intuitive, humble, curious, socially responsible. The masculine qualities were rugged, dominant, strong, rigid, analytical, proud, decisive, ambitious, competent, dynamic, career-oriented. And so maybe we've had this male-dominant society for so long, and those qualities that we consider male were necessary to get us where we are today into this global economy that we share. And maybe it's time now for a shifting of gears. And it doesn't mean, like you said, Jamie, earlier, it doesn't mean women are going to be in control of the world. It means there's a collaboration and a balance, not this lopsided thing where we have men are running, running everything according to their own tastes and women just have to go along with it because men are really holding all the power, especially in the economic sense. When you got married, all of your, all, if you were an heiress, all of your money went to the husband. Suddenly the husband had control of all your money. It wasn't yours anymore. I mean, we finally have get some kind of, it's hard to be a working mom, but at least we have control of our own finances as working moms. So we have a little more power balance in the relationship to, 
to um, try to help make amends. And I think men don't want to be without women. So if women just figure out what it is that would be helpful to us and, and negotiate each with our own spouses about what we need, I think that might be the first step. It's hard because it's a big problem. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're not going to solve it in our lifetime, but we're going to make steps forward. I can see the steps forward we've already taken in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we find a solution to mm. have a more balanced life? How are we seen as equal or even as a stronger sex or mm-hmm. not even that? Like, it reminded me of a conversation I just had yesterday with my friend. I never thought that this conversation will play a role, but um, what she said, they bought a house three years ago and one of the things that was really important to her is they're buying all furniture from woman-owned businesses Mm. i guess if you can make contributions like this to your society you're already shifting the world because you're giving the funds and you're giving your money to businesses that have all the qualities that you want to see in the world the compassion the loving i can't even reread the ones you were you were reading out loud It just reminded me of that. That's a contribution that you could make. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said about, so what you just mentioned, Sabina, voting with your dollars, right? And it's not necessarily a vote in the sense of our our politics per se, but, you know, voting for what you want to see more of in the world. And when we talk about Not everybody has a spouse. Not everybody is raising children. And everybody has in their lives these people where if we have these lists, so maybe we need to publish these on our Instagram so people can look at them. But you have these qualities. Oh, gosh, this relationship uh, with my dad or with my brother, here's like the real like rugged male qualities. Let me have a conversation with that person to talk about bringing in some of the feminine to, to at least open up the dialogue by being mindful of the relationships that we have and taking taking a, a deeper view through this lens. Where can we start with conversations that are, and if you do have a spouse and are raising children, once you've established that in your own home, what are the broader conversations and co- pieces of communication you want to open up around this topic, given those descriptors yeah i think that's i think that makes sense to maybe publish it and really draw it out because it's such a broad topic and it's such a big topic and there are so many little steps or it's just a it's a colossum of a theme that we need to change and i think even with this podcast we part of it right we're bringing attention and awareness to it um and even discussing it with me somebody who is not extremely informed but once all the things that you just read off and you've been doing your research on right i have it within me and i want to see that change in the world too and i'm going through it but i don't even think so deeply and um it's not clear to everybody it just is not and jamie you and i talked about this too i think those conversations really happen um not everybody, not every man is open to those conversations. And I think my husband is open to that conversation because in 12 years of marriage, we've been through a lot of ups and downs and a lot of changes. And we had to have those conversations in order for me or for him to feel more comfortable in your own skin. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but unfortunately that's not the case for everybody so yeah and i think it lends to whatever feels right and authentic to you maybe for some being very vocal about it and very communicative not just with their inner circles but with social media and interactions and um being an advocate and going and marching for things. For other people, uh, Sabina, like you mentioned, maybe it's doing it on their own by focusing on where they're putting their dollars and who who they're doing business with and who they're supporting, um, which you know is more of a personal thing that you don't necessarily shout from the rooftops. And so I think it's really finding, and like you mentioned, this podcast where we're bringing attention to it. This is one way, not the only way, but this is one way that we are inactivity around this topic and and our thoughts on it. So whatever's authentic for each individual, collectively then that compound effect of what we're going to see moving forward. Yeah. And you're normalizing this egalitarianism or this complementary nature of the men and women working together for a common good instead of one sex it would, it would be the same if women were in charge all the time and making men do whatever we told them to do. We would screw up in a different way, but it, the, we need the collaboration between those diverse sides of the human race working together to raise that next generation so they don't are, aren't hampered by our same expectations. Mm-hmm. So it's slow because I want instantaneous fix, and it's, it's a big problem, and it's not going to be fixed instantaneously, but we yeah. each can do our own part. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm shifting a little bit the theme right now, but I would still really, really love to hear your experience in the weightlifting times. <laughs> That's I think that was talking about that today, <clears throat> because one of the reasons I started lifting, really the primary reason I started lifting, is I coached gymnastics, and I could only coach the little ones. You know, and they got to be five or six or seven years old, and they they were too, they got to be too big for me to spot safely on the skills they were doing. So I started lifting so I could be stronger, so I could keep my students that I didn't want to uh-huh. give away. My but I got into powerlifting and I was instantly successful because I had been in gymnastics for 12 years earlier. I mean, it came off of 12 years of gymnastics. So powerlifting is so easy compared to gymnastics. There's nothing scary about it. It's heavy and it's painful, but it only takes half an hour to do a workout. And I was able to continue working out the whole, I had a whole weight set in my garage. I had a squat rack and a bench press in my garage because I'm working, I'm a working mom, right? And my kids are home and I couldn't go to the gym. My husband always went to the gym. He went to work and then before he came home, he went to the gym. And so he was gone 12 hours a day and I'm home with the kids, right? Trying to get my work done and my workout. So I worked out in the garage. But the thing about powerlifting was it not only made me strong physically, it made me understand that I could do things that previously would have seemed impossible to me, you know. Um, And being strong to begin with from the sport of gymnastics made it super easy to morph into into weightlifting. So I had a feeling from the beginning that it was going to be, it was really more my sport than, I love gymnastics, but powerlifting was my, powerlifting was the thing I excelled at. So I was the um, national champion. In the first time I went to nationals, I won nationals. And Can you um, mention the year? Yeah, it was 1979 when I won the Women's National Powerlifting Championship. I was in the 56 kilo class. 
And the only reason I won is because I lifted in kilos. I thought in kilos. My I have a good math brain. But when you're under pressure and you don't want to have to sit down and do math and convert pounds to kilos. But for national competitions, you have to lift in kilos. They won't allow any any pound kind of plates because the uh, world records that are set and the national records that are set won't count unless you're doing everything in kilos. But most people in America still lift in pounds and they have to convert to kilos. So this woman... I, you want to tell me this? Want me to tell you the story? <clears throat> I actually I want I want our listeners to know too how many people were competing with you. How many women were competing with you? In my weight class, there were nineteen. There were about hundred and sixty in that in that meet, but they divide by weight classes. So my my weight classes there were nineteen women. You had to qualify to get in, and um, yeah. So do you, do you know how many. I, how many there are now in your weight class if they compete? Oh, that's interesting. No, because I've been out of this spot. I've been out for a long time, but way more. And it was in, this is fun to talk about. I haven't thought about this in a long <laughs> Because that feeds right into the standards we've been talking about too, right? It does, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It does. You're, you're not supposed to lift weights if you're a girl because boys don't like girls with muscly legs. But I was already told that when I went into gymnastics, you can't do sports because boys don't like girls with muscly legs. And if I, I say that story to men today, just howl like, oh, we don't like fit toned women's bodies. What are you talking about? But it was really a thing like I had to really think about it when I was in high school. I love gymnastics, but I didn't really like there was no boys I liked. I kind of had a crush on Dennis Cad, but he was a gymnast. So the only time I got to see him outside of class was if I was at practice. So. I thought, you know, I just, I didn't like many, I didn't like boys yet, but I love gymnastics. So I had to choose. And I just, I had a sense in my little 14 year old self, I'm choosing. I'm Kaylee's age. <sighs> I had to choose between boys and gymnastics and there was just really no contest, right? So we know that girls don't like boys with muscly legs and you don't want to get big and hairy and bulky and all that stuff. People are really worried about when, when you start weightlifting, I had so many advice. One of my one of my friend's moms said, your uterus is going to fall. You can't be doing that. Your uterus will fall out. I said, holy sh cow, are you kidding me? <clears throat> I mean, all these very strange things. We, I had women tell me it's not you. Can't. I was holding kids upside down. Danielle uh, Turin. I was I was walking through the house with two kids hanging upside down. And and someone told me that it's bad for kids' brains. You can't do that. It's, it's not good for their brains to have that much blood flow. I said, do you know what I do for a living is teach people how to be upside down all day. These women are – women before – I mean, you think I have weird ideas that I was raised on, but women before me had really <laughs> odd things going on. So I really – it was like that bucking the trend kind of a thing. Like, that doesn't make any sense. I love gymnastics. I'm going to keep doing it. And, um, you know, I'm still – obviously, I'm still doing it because here I am, whatever it is, 50 – five years later and I'm still, you know, doing gymnastics, but the gymnastics made powerlifting seem super easy. And this, and the men, we, the first meet I ever went to was at a boys penitentiary. I didn't know that. I didn't know it was at a boy. We just had the address and it was, you know, the California, whatever championships of something. I don't know what the heck it was, but we went, that was the best meet that I could go to at the time that was in my area. And we went into this boys penitentiaries and it was, this enormous crowd of oh inmates and they're very it was so interesting and I met my best friend Kathy Siano that's where I met her at that meet um, so there was a real bias against women lifting that's for darn sure and I and I knew that it was not kosher but I thought 
I finally had a sport. My I set state records on my first meet ever. I mean, I only had been training for 10 weeks and I was already, because of gymnastics, I was already so strong. I was already setting records in the powerlifting sport. So it, it converted to the next sport very nicely. But what really got me one day, and Jamie, you were probably about eight years old and we're at the supermarket checkout. And you know, the, all the magazine racks there by the, when you're waiting for your, you know, to check out. And there was a cover of a magazine saying how to get those sexy muscles. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, this is, you might've been 10 years old, but it was like a deck within a decade, it had gone from it's ridiculous. Girls aren't supposed to do this to it's sexy to have muscles now. So we can change culture. We definitely can change culture. Hold on one second. I have to open my LaCroix. Oh, <laughs> and I you, didn't want to make it a loud noise. I, you are, what does my mother-in-law always says? You a witch with a bee. Oh, jeez. <laughs> she does? My mother-in-law is super, she never curses, but that's the only oh, thing she that's says. So funny. That's so or she will she say, said. you're a stinker. A stinker. Oh. <laughs> Oh my god. Which one which one's worse? Wait, is, wait, is she more mad when she says witch or with a bee or stinker? Oh, witch with a bee. The stinker okay. is just cute. It's like okay. nobody can like she doesn't know how like till this day when Tanner farts or <laughs> he burps, <laughs> she has to like giggle away. She's like, <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> That's funny. Yeah, um, she's really cute. I woke up thinking about something that probably it's a Mother's Day episode, right? And we do this thing with Mother's Day, take her to lunch, give her flowers. The other 364 days a year, you're, she's the slave person of the family. <laughs> and what would be more helpful than having a specific Mother's Day is for us to understand really how mothers are so in, torn in three different directions at all times. You know, I mean, between your job and your kids and your husband, it's like you're supposed to be three different people because it's not just you pop the kid out and you're done. It's a huge undertaking. Your body has gone through a lot of changes and they don't understand what it means to be mothers. And so we almost have to re-educate people. You know what I mean? Like what would be more helpful than giving them flowers one day a year and saying, thank you. I love you, mom, is pitch in and actually take some of the burden off the women that are trying to raise the families on their own while they're also juggling supposed to be perfectly fit and they're supposed to be perfectly sexy and they're supposed to be a really great mom and they're supposed to be good at work and they're supposed to be good in bed and they also have to cook their husband's dinner and, and you know whatever you know get his tennis shoes clean so what could we do that would be more supportive of moms that's the question, right? Real day life, like how do we negotiate what they really need and no expectations that you're supposed to be sexy two weeks after the baby's born, you know, back into your, you know, size. I think I think it starts with education and talking about it. Yeah. Um, I think that a lot of women don't know that before you get pregnant, you have to prep your body to get pregnant. Number one. Number two, from a nutritional standpoint and from a mental standpoint too, because Pregnancy is nothing for the lighthearted. There's so much unknown there. That's one thing to be aware of. And of course, pregnancy can be beautiful. And I know, Jamie, I think you said you love being pregnant, right? Mm -hmm. and, um, for you, it was really easy. But I think for a lot of women, if they have that conception of this is going to be great and, and um, amazing and I'm going to enjoy it, it might turn out different too. Maybe there is some worry along the way. 
And I think then it's like you have to educate the men too that one, your woman is not going to look like this anymore. And two, you are growing by the minute an eyeball and a hand and a finger and a fingernail and you're creating a human within you without really actively or consciously doing it, right? It happens all subconsciously. When you breastfeed, depending on how long you breastfeed, there's a recovery to that too. And you know, when you train, you can't train so much because otherwise when you have so much lactin, the milk gets sour and you can, um, I forgot what it's called in English, but you can maybe get um, some infected infected um, nipples and infected ducts. Nobody knows about that. That it's like, not just, there's not six weeks recovery after the baby when you can work out again, but there's also about a year recovery after breastfeeding. And for me, like for me, for example, I don't know how it was with you, Jamie, or with you, Michelle, but I was breastfeeding for 18 months and I still had milk until Quinn was my gosh, two and a half almost now. I just stopped. So like my body was telling me it took about a year for the milk to completely disappear. And I was still having all those hormones, right? And like all the crazy roller coaster hormones to really readjust. Well, and it's interesting because there's, I think it's the Holderness family. I've just been turned on to this. We talked about it in the real estate roller coaster episode because she does this hilarious skit where she's the real estate agent and the buyer prospective mm. buyer. And it's so funny because she like goes back and forth and she did this one twenties versus forties. So all the things, so she pretend to be the 20 year old self and then she's on the opposite side, immediately the 40 year old self. And it's, if you haven't seen it, it's so funny. But one of the things in there is she's her 20 year old self is on the phone with, you know, whatever her friend or something. She's like, Oh, he's so hot. He has, did you see his arms? Did you see his abs? And then the 40 year old version is on the phone with her friend. And she's like, Oh, he mowed the lawn. He did the dishes. He is so hot. (laughs) So to answer that question, like how can we help our moms or, you know, the stay at home dads who are in that flipped role piece of it? You know, what is that? Not just once a year you get flowers and you go out for Mother's Day to celebrate and say thank you with a card, but what are those little little pieces of tidying up after yourself or going to the grocery store and picking up a few things or whatever it is, those little tiny, or they don't feel tiny when you're on the recipient end, but could be, doesn't take a lot of energy, doesn't take a lot of time, just takes mindfulness and awareness to see that it needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And the mindfulness and awareness comes from what Sabina was saying, education, Mm -hmm. talking about it, letting people know, because they don't know. And if you're expecting a super happy pregnancy and you're like me, and it's, I hated being pregnant. I was so miserable being pregnant. It was awful. I couldn't wait for that kid to get out of me. And then, of course, you don't realize once the kid comes out, the real work begins and everything goes, you know, (laughs) then it gets really hard, right? But we don't do a good job of preparing and we really don't do a good job of supporting. And it could be women supporting each other, husbands supporting their wives, wives supporting their husbands in a different way if they're the stay-at-home mm-hmm. dad. And normalizing, like, whatever you have to do to raise this family. <clears throat> yeah. Sorry for interrupting, but I have to say that um, I think Germany is definitely ahead when it comes to that than America is. Because we have, um, from the moment you become pregnant, you get a midwife. 
So you have a midwife you can see once a month. And then throughout the first week when your baby is born, they come to your home for at least for every day for the first week. And then mm -hmm. they fade out slowly over the next couple months. But up to a year, you can still see them. And it's yeah. all paid for health insurance. And then you get from your health insurance, you get um, a prenatal course where you get prepared for what birth is going to be like with your partner together. So all your questions can be answered in that course and you have different couples sitting with you. So you share experiences or worries. So that actually helped us a lot to be ready for it. It definitely took some of the worries away. And yeah, I feel like we are taking care well way better over here i mean i got 12 months of maternity leave paid in a lot of job situations when you have a dangerous job or you're dealing with chemicals or whatever during the pregnancy or you work in a kindergarten or school or whatever it is they say it's too dangerous for you during pregnancy you get a hundred percent pay from the moment you start telling them you're pregnant and you don't have to work anymore you are written so to say sick so I was previously, um, I had Quinn in November. My last day of working was somewhere in August. So then I had maternity leave. So I was home for almost two years. Yeah. Wow. So, and then the dads too, you get a total of 14 months split between two parents. They can arrange it however they want. I took 12 months in a row. So Tanner still till Quinny is three years old. He can still take two months paid off, paid vacation, so to say. I think that's what America is lacking in that department. And then there is so many resources that is all paid by health insurance. I mean, I had a baby massage class where I met other moms to really find some connection and talk things through. But yeah, we need to make that change in America as well. Really? And so I don't know how it was for you, Jamie. I don't know how much time you took off between your two kids. I mean... California is not amazing when it comes to that. So we, and it's definitely not 100% paid. So there's a six week minimum and then you can go on, you know, disability. Um, if you've, if you've previously bought into the system, right? So like if you have those, um, wages that have been taxed for the disability on, mm -hmm. uh, you know, but I think it's, what is it? It's like 60% of, of your, and it, you get a little bit of extra time if you have a C-section versus a vaginal birth, mm -hmm. but overall it ends up being about 12 weeks. And a lot of people can't afford to do the whole 12 weeks because they can't live off of 60% of their income. I feel like for the first four months, like for the first four months, I was just in home breastfeeding, like nonstop every two hours. So I wouldn't move much. <laughs> and then after that, it was just going on walks going on walks to make the kid fall asleep again <laughs> yeah so, but yeah it's it's really crazy i hear the stories too from friends in california that are just taking six months off you know and that's all they can really do I, now being there i cannot even imagine at six months going back to work so. but i think that goes back to what we started at the the top of the podcast around when did we lose that feminine piece and that commitment to the feminine piece, not more so than the male, but in partnership and in balance? Mm -hmm. 
And what effect does it have that the laws around what you're talking about, it's four weeks before and six weeks after, and you get a little extra if it was, you know, who makes those laws? Men who have never been pregnant, who have no yeah. idea what it's like to be breastfeeding every two hours. And the, the emotional, you were bawling your eyes out when, when I brought Grace to you. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, during your lunch, I would bring the baby to her because she's back at work, but she's still nursing. So I bring the baby to her so she could feed the baby while she's at work. You know, Crazy. Break, right? Because they don't understand. I guarantee you if women were the lawmakers for the next 200 years, we'd have a completely different society right now, you know? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, that's Western medicine in general, right? Western mm-hmm. medicine is just controlled mm-hmm. by men. Mm-hmm. And um, the knowledge we have is not accurate anymore in mo- in a lot of cases. But there's just so much more wisdom in holistic medicine. And most of the times it is more intuitive, therefore it is run by a woman. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so what can we do to help to help mothers and help parents um, be more able to raise the next generation in the, in the best way possible? And what benefit is that to society that we're raising our kids with fully present and able to give them what they really need is, and every child's different, every family's different. How do we support, how do we support people as they're navigating the, challenges of parenthood for 20 or 25 years. Yeah. I think it's the recognition piece. Uh, We talked about education. We talked about the mindfulness. I think it's also recognizing and acknowledging, even if it's a stranger. You see that, you know, Sabina, you're at the park having a beer with your mom friends, and there's a mom who isn't with anyone going over and saying, hey, this might be weird, but do you want to come have a beer with us while our kids play on the playground? You know, the I think going outside of our comfort zones to include people, and at the very least, she might say no and be like, uh, I don't I don't think so, but things, you know, but but acknowledge like leading with the why. I see you over here. I acknowledge whatever it is, you know, being a mom is hard. And if you ever want to If you ever want to chat about it, we're over here. You know, those just even that mindfulness piece of seeing it and acknowledging it in somebody else. Yeah. Kind of a pay it forward piece in addition to the deeper rooted education, the larger scope. But that's something I could go. We could go out right now. I mean, it's raining, so maybe we'll do it in 20 (laughs) minutes when it stops. But we could go out on the street right now and I'm sure we could find a mom to acknowledge Totally That's so important because having that support from other women who actually understand what you're going through and how it feels and, you know, con- staying connected. So you don't feel so isolated. You home with a little parasite for the next year and a half, you know, <laughs> essentially needing you for their very survival and you're alone doing that, you know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and on no, top you're of right. the expectations that Sabina talked about with, uh, you're supposed to get your eight pack, you know, back the mm-hmm. week after and, <laughs> You know, you're, that sets us always up to fail. And and in the most always. important job in the world, we should be setting ourselves up to succeed and we should be setting ourselves up for cut us some slack as moms and, and give us some support that we need. And we can do that for each other, like you say. Well, I Which think- I think in turn would help us cut our own selves slack, make giving us permission to, because I remember I was crying on the way home from the hospital because I was 22 and I brought my cute little jeans 
And nobody told me I was gonna still be fat and look like I was five months pregnant. I thought, oh, the kid's out. I might be sore and a little swollen. But when I realized in the bathroom, I could not, there was no way I was going home in my jeans. I literally started crying like, whoa, I felt like I had been bamboozled. I'm like, people don't tell you this. I, what's happening and why, is there another baby in there? I don't know about what's happening. And so that piece by, for it's so for me, I'll speak from a place of I, it's so easy for me to acknowledge people around me. Yeah. Find the good, give the compliments, talk about, you know, what they're doing great and be that cheerleader. And when I receive compliments, there's something in me that's like, there's that like perfectionist, whatever it is, and it's gotten better. But to receive acknowledgments myself is much harder than it is for me to acknowledge and gift it to others. And so I think by having more of that out there, especially from random strangers who, you know, some random mom who's just like, hey, I just need to give you a high five and that's it, might Mm -hmm. unlock what we need to give ourselves grace and to not have those expectations on our own. And that's what I just about to say too, like lowering your expectations from the get-go, right? Lowering your expectations the moment you become pregnant and once the baby is there, lowering also the expectations on your partner will be a helpful guide with whatever happens. Because I think as motherhood told me, is like every day is completely different and you cannot plan for anything. <laughs> yeah. It helps to have moms that are in with the same age of kids they know what's going on i think a lot of times when your kids get older you may forget again or when they have a big support system they also don't understand um i'm really lucky that i have some friends that are in a similar situation as we are and so we catch each other falling pretty safely and it feels really good but what you said too acknowledging that that you are in a sense, feeling like you're failing and actually voicing that takes Mm. a lot of commitment and a lot of, um, what do you call it? Um, Courage. Courage. A lot of courage too. And I think once I done that, the help just came left and right. And I've been taking it in. Mm. And I think that has changed the stress that I'm going through and my happiness. And I also see it in Quinn, right? She... She doesn't mind it if she has to go for an hour or two to a friend's house and play in order so I can do something. And It's such an excellent point. You ask for help. Not only can we offer help to other people, but we ourselves need to ask for help. And we're sort of not trained to do that. But it can be very freeing to realize you can't get this all done yourself and you need, you need to tell people what you need and hope that it's going to come your way. I tell everybody else to ask for help and I'm really nurturing and caring and I'm offer my help all the time. But when it comes to myself, it, <laughs> it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of reflection that I actually needed. That's a good lesson for you then. So. Yeah. And for all of us really. To wrap this up a little bit. So perfect mother's day, Michelle, what's that going to look like for you? <laughs> <clears throat> Oh my gosh. Wow. Maybe is it silence? It's, it's, yeah, right. It could be that. Everybody go away and let me just have my own space in my own day. Because that's my favorite day is an empty day where I, there's no walls on it. There's no, but you said expectations earlier. And you really learn that from being the mom, huh? That you just, you have no control over how that day is going to go. You just have to keep, you know, 
that someone else is taking care of all the things and you could just relax. That would be really the perfect Mother's Day for me. But I think it has to be more than one day. You know, we, have to, <laughs> we, we do, we sort of have to infiltrate that into our entire lives where the support is there mm -hmm. and whatever you need. Like if the kids are perfectly happy playing together, right? Well, you described it, you're, you're at the park and the kids can play and the moms can sit and, and kind of sort out their feelings and their thoughts and just have a conversation with an adult, an adult conversation, right? So it, Mother's Day is different every year, depending on if your kids are three or 13 or 33. But so now your kids are, now your kids are pretty old and out of the house, not pretty old. They're still young, but <laughs> yeah, I thought yes, sufficient. Young. Yeah, she's a baby. She's yeah. still my baby. No matter when she's 65 years old, she's still going to be my baby. Self-sufficient, let's call it like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love this. Well, I love the conversation too. And you know, it's you know, it's taken us a long time to get where we are. It's not one of those things that's an overnight fix, but it does feel good to have tangible actions to take into our own hands that are immediate, right? Random stranger acknowledgement could be an immediate way to send out a little bit of positive ripples and then a more long-term, how do you educate yourselves? How do you uh, make sure that you're identifying those masculine, feminine, neutral qualities and identifying in your, in your close circle where there might be work to do within a conversation around an imbalance? You know, and that's that's something that's a little bit deeper. But if there's more than one of us doing it, it's still going to be slow going. But at least the focus is there and the intention is there. You know, we've been giving birth for thousands of years. And so many women have survived it. And it's always similar scenario what happens. So our body just know, knows what to do. But it's the same with being a mom, right? thousands of women millions of women and for hundreds and thousands of years they have gone through the same emotions as we have so it's just natural to come together and share those those feelings mm -hmm. so um i think you build a community when you have when you are like-minded sabina what's your what's your perfect mother's day <sighs> I already mentioned it. I don't think it's going to happen this year, but I might just push Mother's Day to a different day. I'm going to take a day off from work and I'm going to go to a spa. There's a spa here in Berlin. Um, it's completely nude, <laughs> but you have about 15 different saunas uh -huh. that are really big and multiple pools and water beds to lie and rest on and a restaurant and a bar. And so you can, I've been there once and I was like, Oh my God, this is heaven. Nobody's allowed to talk. You're only allowed to read <gasps> books. No phones are allowed. So I've been there for, I think six hours. And I was like, this is not long enough. I need to spend literally here from opening to, <laughs> to closing the whole day. And I did it with some girlfriends and I was like, okay, I need to do this all by myself. So mm -hmm. I've been planning on having a day like this and Tanner's already aware that I will pull the Joker card and go at some point. So that's, that's my perfect day being Good completely alone and with naked strangers. No talking. Yeah. 
You heard it here first. Sabina's perfect <laughs> hanging around with naked strangers who won't talk to her. <laughs> oh, great. This makes a great podcast. <sighs> I feel like that's probably where we should end. I think that's that's the high note to mic drop. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> well, if you ever come visit to Berlin, I need to tell show you this place. It's it's insane. Like I couldn't believe when I first entered in, it looked so small. And then all of a sudden it's all made in this um Bali layout. Like the wood is all original and it's just it's incredible what they done there. And the saunas fit like 30, 40 people all at once. So wow. Wow. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Well, do you want to wrap us up? I think um, you, said, you said shit one time, so you could say, you could swear. You've already sworn. You could say swore. the bad words. Yeah. I don't, but I don't think we've heard what your perfect English is. Oh, mine. I, I think at this point, because like you, you both mentioned, it's different in different stages, right? Depending on how old your kids are and what the situation is. So for me, I think the perfect Mother's Day would really be, I like to have everyone together. I don't like to, Sabina, you know this, we've had an entire episode on my dislike of running around on holidays, but get to spend quality time with everyone, but where everyone's relaxed, nobody is looking at the clock having to run because there's other things to be done. So it's not so much, I think, what the actual activity is. It's more for me that, you know, quality time without feeling pressure of what comes next. Yeah. Sounds to me like a she's plate and crackers in the middle of a kitchen and everybody gathering <laughs> around it. I am always about the charcuterie board. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I like to add the charcuterie board to my day. <laughs> yeah. And the common thing among the three of us is that relaxation, that la the pressure's off. Can we just take the pressure. pressure off for just one full day? Mm -hmm. I think yeah. that's kind of a common, common theme. theme. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we acknowledge that right now here in that triangle conversation we've been having. So thank you for having me. It was fun. Well, thank you for listening to our Mother's Day episode. We hope you had as much fun listening as we had making it. Until next time, don't fuck it up. Thank you.